brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. Do you know a good electrician? By one estimate, the demand for photovoltaic installers, or solar energy electricians, is projected to grow 52% from 2020 to 2030. During our conversation today, we are going to talk to Carol Wise and Niha Misra. They are both part of Remote Energy and know all about this opportunity. Remote Energy are a team compromised of electricians, educators and innovators in the PV industry who share a vision to catalyse change in the developing world. And to date, they have trained up thousands. During our conversation, Carol and Niha are going to take us on a journey of why the biggest opportunities are in training female electricians, how to drill in a lockdown, and what you can do to be part of creating thousands of new green quality jobs around the world. And this podcast forms part of a short series that we are putting on to explore how we put people at the heart of climate action and what climate justice can mean for business. So Carol, Niha, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hello and namaste. Thank you for having us here. Great to have you guys. Thank you very much for giving your time to talk to us today. We are just a few days away from the COP. Um, So COP26, Glasgow, lots of people talking about climate change. We deeply care about kind of putting people at the heart of climate action. I was just wondering whether you guys could share a little about your own journeys about becoming part of remote energy. Carol, I wonder whether you wouldn't mind going first. Hi, sure. Thank you. How I got into the solar industry is as an electrician. I was a commercial electrician and a residential electrician, and I was hired by a solar installer because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make change by putting solar up on people's homes. And soon after that, I became a trainer. This was in the late 90s. And so the solar industry was mainly for off-grid battery-based systems in the U.S. And then as the U.S. market started growing, there was this need for workforce training. And so I started working for an organization that's the largest hands-on training group in the U.S. And our in the early 2000s, it was really a busy time because we were addressing this huge growth in the U.S. in the solar market. And we needed to bring on a lot of trainers to address that growth and to really align with standards in the country. And so at that time, I was really working in the U.S., but there were other students that were coming to our facilities from other countries. And they were saying, yeah, it's nice that you're doing solar here, but we actually really need the electricity. We have no electricity in our communities. And can't you come to our country to teach solar classes as well? And so I started doing some travel. And it wasn't to install systems in communities. It was to teach people how to do their own installations and maintain systems. And so through that process, I found other people that were doing their own, that same work independently. And we formed remote energy. 
And kind of the three pillars that we decided to work towards is to either one, help training centers that were already teaching electricians um, to start a solar program so that the, their graduates were solar electricians. To the second pillar was to train solar educators and technicians independently and do like a longer term mentorship for those solar educators. And then the third pillar is to bring more women into the industry. So our whole motivation for remote energy is really to, to teach populations that were not typically being taught in workforce development trainings. And so to get a more diverse and inclusive solar industry. And Niha, I wanted to bring you in on this journey. What brought you to remote energy? Thank you for the question, uh, Katie. So I am an Indian origin energy economist and solar innovator with two decades of experience supporting inclusive solar movements across Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, and North America. I am an immigrant in America, a first-generation immigrant, and really a formative part of my uh, whole career, which has been dedicated to energy justice, uh, was a really profound experience I had in the Sundarban Islands, uh, in the Bay of Bengal in Asia, which is uh, one of the most fragile you know, ecosystem in the world, as we speak, being impacted by climate change. Uh, and I had an incredible experience seeing firsthand in very formative part of my career, the you know, tremendous uh, impact that solar innovations can have on people's life, livelihoods, and sense of safety and well-being. So with that experience, I have dedicated my life, uh, you know, to this work uh, by my work as co-founder, champion, advisor of some of the leading solar innovators that are really working at the intersection of climate justice, women's rights, and equity within the sustainable energy fields. So Carol and I have known each other. I really admire her as I uh, feel through my experience. She's one of the most brilliant uh, solar educators in the world and really thoughtful and considerate about who is in the room, who is not in the room, who needs to be brought in the room, and how, because how really matters, not just our intentions. So in 2020, I became the inaugural global ambassador for remote energy. I really feel that scaling solar solutions globally means that we must really address the massive uh, skill gaps and do so in a manner that is inclusive for people of color and especially uh, women uh, of color in what is still very much a boys club internationally. So I feel Ari uh, Remote Energy is really, really addressing this vital gap. And I'm so proud to support this work as an ambassador. Oh my God, I get the excitement like brimming off the pair of you. Thank you so much for sharing your journeys with us. Um, Carol, turning back to you, I mean, you just talked about your three pillars around uh, training centres, about training educators, about bringing more women to the industry. What do you see as the overarching kind of opportunity that remote energy brings? 
the opportunity that we're bringing is to create a diverse and inclusive solar industry and which we aren't seeing up until we haven't really seen it up until this point. And I'll give you a personal example. Well, in the in our women's program, IRENA, which is the International Renewable Energy Agency, they did a gender perspective paper in 2019. And so they have found that women make up only 28% of the technical renewable energy workforce. And then I would say, if we were really looking at women on rooftops or women installing solar, that number would dramatically decrease. In my life as an electrician, and then as a solar educator, I quickly found that there were very few women. You know, I was most typically the only woman on a job site. And then even as an educator, I was teaching mostly men in the class. Sometimes I would be the only woman in the class. And this is worldwide. I was teaching just in the U.S. for a while, and then I was teaching internationally. And this was true most everywhere, or is true most everywhere. So Remote Energy's women's program, really, we're teaching classes that are for women and their top five professional women in the field. And by opening up this opportunity, we have found that women want to come to these classes. So so in a program that we were seeing, you know, zero to two women coming to a co-ed class, by opening up this women's only class, all these women were coming to classes. And so I've been teaching these uh, women's only classes for over 20 years. And from the first program that I was teaching, when we looked at three years before offering a women's only class and three years after, we were able to double the numbers of women coming through as technicians uh, through this technical training. And then in an international train the trainers program that I was teaching, it was the same. Women were not showing up to the train the trainers classes. And by opening up women's only classes, we were able to increase those numbers by fivefold. So we, we have to really look at the barriers that women have or that why are they not coming to classes? And what we're, when we ask women, why did you come to this women's only class and not the co-ed class? They're saying, well, it's less intimidating. I'm learning about this new technical field. I don't want to be the only woman in the room trying to learn how to use these new tools and having everyone look at me. And so it's a really important thing. And so this is not only true in our women's program. We have a Native American program where we're really concentrating on Native American trainers so that they become the mentors in front of the room. You know, one from very different geographies, my life experiences, uh, I've spent whole of my professional career in the clean energy field also deeply resonates with uh, what Carol shared, you know, being often an outlier in rooms filled with men, whether it's policy forums or, you know, conferences or whether it's really uh, planning uh, events uh, and forums for clean energy. So uh, I feel as a woman, as a brown woman, <laughs> you know, as, and, and so many intersections of my own life, I feel we need to change this, uh, really. And uh, Carol mentioned the uh, number from, you know, the IRENA International Renewable Energy report where uh, women still form barely like 28% in STEM-related fields in the renewable energy sector. 
And IRENA itself recognizing rec- recognizes that one of the biggest barriers of for women in solar uh, industry is lack of skills and gender specific training opportunities. And if we couple that, there is a national solar job census uh, report that found that women represented here in the U.S. only 26% of the solar workforce, while gender non-binary employees comprised 1.4%. And if we break it down racially, then uh, Hispanic or Latino workers in the U.S. represented about 16% of the workforce. 8.5% Asian workers and 7.6% African-American workers. So I feel that context is really important because our work really needs to be intersectional. And according to the same report, among all senior executives reported by solar firms, 88% are white and 80% are men. So I feel uh, in our our work... uh, you know, challenges and opportunities are twins in life often. So our opportunity is related to the challenge that is this significant gap in terms of gender diversity and in terms of uh, racial diversity. And I'm really, really proud that Remote Energy is really thoughtfully addressing this both domestically in the US and globally through our partner networks. Yeah, those statistics suggest there is a long way to go. And for anybody listening to the podcast, I will put the link to that report in the words that sit alongside us. Carol, clearly there's kind of a lot of noise around transitioning to green jobs and supporting people to do this and the whole kind of green transition movement. What does that actually mean in practice? I mean, is it just a bunch of jargon or is is this something real and how can people engage with it? It is definitely real. Just, you know, in the example that I gave you, when the U.S. market grew, as soon as money came into an area, into a state, and they offered incentives for solar, everybody said, oh, I'm a solar installer. And a lot of installations that went up were unsafe and they weren't to regulations. And that can be a huge problem when you're trying to transition to a new technology. We have to do it in an organized way and really make sure that both the people that are installing and the end users, everybody's safe while they're doing that. And so when we're transitioning to green jobs, you know, it's really upskilling people and retooling people to the right job. And so in our, you know, for remote energy, what that looks like is that we're working with people to bring that, all of those skill sets, and we have to partner with people that where it makes a lot of sense. So for instance, we, this past year, we worked with a school in Senegal and, you know, we had seven trainers go through a program where they learned about solar. Now they have all of these instructors and professors were in engineering related uh, fields. And so it was a good and easy transfer of knowledge because they were already working with electricity and engineers. So we don't have to teach those core fundamental skills, but it's teaching the solar fundamentals. And we had them, um, they had hands-on labs to work with. Now, this was a trick because during COVID, we had to do this online. So they had the equipment in there at their school. We had the equipment in our offices and we had to go through this process of 
having them set up labs in a safe way for their students, take photos of specific things so we could see that they were doing it safely and correctly, and then doing them doing lab activities themselves as students and so that we could look at their answers and talk about it as a group to make sure that they really understood how to use all the equipment. But from there, they just took off. And right away on the next semester, they offered, they put the solar program within their mechanical engineering program. And they offered their first class. They were, they knew enough to say, hey, can you help co-teach this? Because we're not completely comfortable. We want a co-teacher. So they asked us to co-teach it with them. From there, their students formed a solar club. From there, they invited uh, high schools to come in and do hands-on labs to get them excited, the younger generation to get excited about that solar can be in their future. And they found internships at some of the, with some of the solar companies in the area. So the power of that transition, just a little bit of knowledge and training then kind of takes the imagination of the people that are in the room and they say, oh gosh, I have this huge need. And Almost everybody that comes to our class, they know exactly how they're going to use solar um, after the class. They say, oh, we have schools that don't have electricity, so our students can't study at night. Our teachers can't prepare their, their ho- or grade homework at night. There is a maternal health clinic that doesn't have lights, and so women are giving birth without light. Or we have agriculture that we need solar water pumping for. So training is pretty exciting because you can just give this basic foundational knowledge, and people know exactly how they're going to use it in their communities. And so this happens with training centers. In our women's program, we also have a strong tools training because women traditionally are not growing up using hand tools and power tools. And that is hugely important for them. And you can just see the change in their in their whole being once um, They learn how to use power drill, for instance. I mean, that is like one of the most exciting activities that happens. I was teaching these young women from Niger and told them, you know, we were doing a solar installation and the next one of the activities is they had to drill uh, a hole into an electrical box so that they could bring their solar cable into it. And their eyes got really big. They said, well, how are we going to make a hole in that box? And I pulled out the drill and their eyes got even wider. And I said, and you have to decide where you're going to drill that hole. And their main lead teacher was not in the room. They said, well, we can't make that decision. We have to wait. Like, no, you actually can make that decision. So I made them go through this whole process of them deciding where to drill the hole, taught them how to use to drill the hole. And afterwards, you could just see the agency that they can make decisions about fixing things or troubleshooting things. And it it ripples into their lives in a lot of different ways. Um, a lot of women will say after learning how to use tools that they go home and they can, uh, they look at their lives different. If their bicycle is broken, they think, oh, maybe I could fix this. Or if they need, you know, something's loose in their house, oh, maybe I can tighten this up, et cetera. So tools training is a really big part of the women's program. Oh, and the idea of being trained up on like actual tangible skills, you that you have a real job at the end that's not just like selling stuff to people who you know, don't necessarily want it, where you're like, I'm actually solving problems. It just must be so empowering. Um, I love the idea of you guys setting up 
lockdown home. Big um, transition to transition from going in person to teach hands-on classes to figure out how to do that remotely. It has been a challenge, but it has also been really has had some benefits in a way where we have people videotape themselves teaching. So in our train the trainers program, I think it has strengthened it because we see each individual person teaching about a subject versus, you know, when you fly somewhere, you have a couple weeks and you don't necessarily see every individual teach. So there's been some interesting benefits of uh, having this lockdown experience problem solving now to a whole nother degree. I wanted to add to what Carol was saying about the power of both personal experience with tools and the power of uh, role models and seeing, you know, women and girls and humans, you know, from all background and identities doing things that might not be part of our cultural norms. So when I, uh, you know, I I studied, um, I have a degree in physics and I have a degree in economics, but still uh, part of my upbringing, I grew up in New Delhi uh, in India, was not to do hands-on, you know, fixing things in the house. And I went through training with Carol and I remember after one of the training, one of our solar uh, trainings uh, and working with the drill, getting on this uh, top of this lab to install a solar panel. I remember I came back home and there was some problem with the bathroom (laughs) and for the First time, I think, ever in my life, instead of just waiting, you know, when will the plumber come? When will the plumber come? I was like, oh, let me see. Can I fix it? And I fixed it myself. So (laughs) I want to say how powerful it is from boardrooms to cop gatherings to bathrooms to fix things when you when you have both the skills and role models and that confidence. It's just so phenomenal. So thank you, Carol. <laughs> I love that story, Niha. That's a great story. <laughs> I think I need a Carol training. <laughs> um, Niha, I wanted to stick with you for um, a moment. I mean, around the kind of ambition, the scale of what would be achieved if remote energy in your partners went absolutely, you know, to scale. Yeah, I think it's a great question about what the ambition is. And, you know, our our ambition is in the context of the uh, global uh, opportunity in the renewable energy industry. So according to the last International Renewable Energy uh, Industry Survey, renewable energy jobs accounted for 11.5 million jobs globally in 2019. So this was about 20% of global energy jobs. And of these uh, 11.5 million jobs, about 4 million came from the solar industry, which is about 33% of all uh, renewable energy jobs. So solar industry has been a market leader in terms of the renewable energy jobs. And by 2050, uh, the total uh, jobs in the renewable energy industry is projected to be 45 million and about roughly 19% of those are estimated in solar. So, so we are working in the context of this global opportunity, and it simply cannot be done without having 
skilled workforce across solar value chains and we cannot you know keep uh, exporting or uh, <laughs> you know solar training this has to be uh, we have to build the capacity locally and we have to also shift if i may say the uh, the the colonial threads that are still prevalent uh not just i would say in the solar industry but in our world as large so we need to build a massive uh, capacity you know both here uh in 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 us and the west and on the ground across developing nations and that cannot and and should not uh, be again a boys club where women are just doing administrative job or making marketing calls with all due respect to all the jobs we must also have opportunity to also do you know really really technical hardcore jobs and planning energy planning you know assessing what productive uses of energy can be done in in both on and off grid communities and what are the energy needs and and really get on actually making it happen not just seeing it from the sidelines and uh this is in this context i feel remote energy's work is um so alive and and relevant uh, right now and, and in all the years to come and and i would also emphasize that mentorship is just so so critical you know it's not just this fuzzy thing you know mentorship or having role models building this pipeline of women uh intergenerationally i would say you know women who have done it for a very very long time like carol and 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 women that she knows even like girls who are still in school or uh, or 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 girls who are in early part of the career for women who are in in middle of the career so we really need to build that pipeline and uh, our ambition is across the solar value chain to make it uh, uh, really powered by what i consider one of the largest sources of renewable energy in the world women power <laughs> i really like how niha has set up how massive how many jobs there are going to be it's it's the clean energy industry is massive and i think that what remote energy's ambition is is to make sure that we have diverse i guess that those opportunities are given to a diverse group of people and how when we are decide you know when we we're making our decisions about well how are we going to focus we really wanted to focus on solar educators and making sure that you know for instance in the women's program we're not just trying to train technicians we want women role models in front of the room so that even if they're teaching a co-ed class or they're at a technical school where most of the students are men that there's the women that are choosing a career they see the woman in front of the room and they say oh that's a role model for me same thing in the native american communities that if there's we want to focus on those trainers and offer them this long-term mentorship so that they can move with the solar industry in their community in a way that makes sense and that goes to any of the countries like you know nia said we don't want to be colonial we want to we want to empower the people from the communities to be role models within their communities and it only makes sense that they can address 
address things, um, maybe speak the language, the native language or the local language, the lo you know, address cultural concerns that are there and move with the industry in their region, which may be different than the next country over. So I think our ambition is to help support trainers to create these long-term term workforce development tracks and, and create this pipeline and to make sure that we are including populations that typically are not addressed. And so we talked about the ambition, which is obviously massive opportunities here. But what's holding you guys back? Like what if, if somebody was listening to this podcast who could potentially help you, what is the ask? Yeah, what's holding uh, us back? There are two layers to that. Uh, one is uh, the systemic issues that are cut across our industry as a whole, as we've been talking about inclusion and commitment to inclusion, uh, whether it's in terms of gender or in terms of uh, race. So I would say that it, there is more talk. That's a positive development in recent times, particularly as we've seen multiple reckonings in last uh, couple of years, but really when rubber hits the road, I want to see every solar uh, renewable energy investor uh, disclose uh, you know, and be transparent on what percentage of their funding goes to a woman-owned organization, or how many uh, you know, women they employ across uh, either their, internally within their organization or across their portfolio. How many are women, um, you know, and people of color, indigenous leaders? So I feel like one layer of the challenge is that we are operating within this systematic uh, lens where there is a lot of talk, but translating that talk to action is still, there is a valley in between uh, that. And uh, we need to go beyond performative commitments to diversity and inclusion. And within our own, uh, you know, more microscopic context of our organization uh, since, uh, you know, we are really trying to, to increase access of solar trainings for people who are often excluded, which means that we need more uh, scholarship supports. We need more support to provide tools and trainings in a very thoughtful and, you know, uh, uh, and, and mindful context of the local setting where we work with our partners, uh, both domestically and internationally. So, so we really need resources, I would say, uh, to the listeners, uh, you know, uh, and we, we, we need uh, financial resources, uh, you know, in addition to, uh, of course, human resources and, and, and partners of very diverse kinds. So you can uh, support us by, you know, uh, either supporting, for example, our women's scholarship fund or connecting us with within your organizations or outside your organization in the ecosystem. Who are the uh, players who really are serious, not performative, you know, really serious about making the solar industry inclusive? And if you are one of those people, if your organization is one of those people, we want to talk to you and, um, and, and we want to collaborate. I would say that remote energy's biggest challenge is funding. I would say probably 90 to 95% of the people that are looking for training from us are asking for full scholarships or, you know, they have very limited amount of money to contribute to their um, scholarship. And, and um, we don't want to have uh, money 
in our opinion, money should not hold back people from learning about solar. And so when we're working with low in, lower income people or people that have more barriers set up for them, such as, you know, women perform more of the childcare duties and home duties. And so they may not be able to take off time to upskill themselves in the same way, or they may not have the money resources. This could be true for Native American communities where there may not be a community college that's close to them. And so it would require them moving in order to take that type of class. Um, I think that we're starting to address that with our online class and our women's program. We see lots of women coming with their kids to the classes because they can take that at whatever time in the day works for them. And so they're you know, we're trying to figure out how can we address those barriers, but funding definitely for scholarships is still a major barrier for us. So for anybody listening, if you want to get in touch with uh, Niha and Carol, please have a look in the words that sit alongside. I'll make sure there's a good link so you can reach out to them and hopefully scale and connect. Niha, I would be amiss if I didn't take the opportunity to ask you around trends that you're seeing. I mean, you, both of you are sitting in a place where you can see lots of activities moving parts that perhaps others can't what would be the trends that you think others should be aware of that perhaps they can't see at the moment Mm, thank you uh, Katie for that question I would answer the trend question which what I hope becomes a untrend thing you know Uh, I, I feel there is much more conversation you know, about uh, diversity and inclusion in the solar industry, but not enough. But, and I hope this is not just a passing trend, but I hope that we can really deeply, thoughtfully and meaningfully, authentically really make this simply the way solar industry works. Uh, You know, the reality is that solar industry is growing. It will continue to grow. It It must continue to grow because our planet is literally on fire. <laughs> so I, I, I really uh, see the trend of continued commitments to deepening, widening the capacities in the solar industry. So it's not just, you know, in your seventh degree of separation that maybe you know somebody Uh, who has some connection to the solar industry, maybe uh, we all shall and should in in as the world is unfolding, as the solar opportunities are unfolding, we will all know and in some way ourselves be uh, solar champions, uh, quite literally and and symbolically, uh, really. So I I would say that's the big uh, solar revolution I see already unfolding and that I'm really happy to be a part of along with Carol and the whole remote energy team and our, our, our so many, many partners. Well, if enthusiasm was infectious, which I believe it is, I, I definitely am on your movement. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Carol, what would you be, what would be your kind of trend that you're seeing that perhaps aren't, others aren't? I actually have to agree with Niha. I've been in this space for over 20 years and well, A, of course, you know, solar and clean energy is being talked about in a way that it wasn't 20 years ago, which is, which is fabulous. I mean, finally, you know, when I go to family events or friend events, people go, oh, I heard something about this. And they have uh, some pieces of information to contribute. But then within that, you know, when I was teaching women's only classes 20 years ago, people are like, wow, that's a niche within a niche. 
I mean, there's solar is hardly an industry. And then you're trying to get more women into it. Like, you know, what is your business plan here? And, and now when I talk to solar companies, they have DEI divisions. They, they are looking at how is my company addressing diversity and equity inclusion? Are we looking within ourselves to hire appropriately? And if they're not, how can we support other organizations that are trying to train women? And so we are getting approached by different companies that are saying, we really like what you're doing. You're creating a pipeline for us so that we can hire more women whereas we weren't seeing a pipeline. I mean, this whole idea of there's no women to do the job it has always struck me as crazy because it's a great job for women to have to be in the solar industry. But it's true when you start looking at some of the typical ways of finding people that are trained you know, through solar programs that are one year, two years long through a community college, that may not be the appropriate place to, you know, for some people that they can't quit their job to take a two-year program. Or so you're seeing less women or people of color or low-income people in those programs. And so now I think that there's this whole new trend of people being more conscious of what does their solar company look like or their company at all, or and investors actually asking, you know, before I invest, how are you addressing diversity and inclusion? Which honestly, that wasn't even like being really thought about 20 years ago. And it was really a push to get people to think that 20 years ago. So so to me, it's all very, very encouraging. Fingers crossed. And final question to you ladies today. What would be your call to action or your piece of advice to anybody who's listening to our conversation? Thank you, Katie, for that question. Thank you so much again for uh, this opportunity to share about uh, remote energy's uh, work and, and mission uh, in the solar revolution. My call to action to our listeners would be actually an invitation. And I would like to invite you to learn about, invest in, and support renewable energy's work. That could be through resources, uh, funding our work, supporting scholarships for women, supporting scholarship for so many indigenous communities that we work with here uh, in the U.S. and globally help us you know create uh, innovative partnerships whether it's within your own organization or in the ecosystem in which uh, you operate uh, because truly our work is centered around training uh, trainers and creating these wide ripples so we cannot do this alone uh, so whether you are a solar organization or an organization which is just committed to sustainability and fostering weavings, which are really out of the box, uh, please reach out to us. And you can find us very easily on Remote Energy uh, website, which, which is remoteenergy.org. And we are very much present on all uh, social media, LinkedIn. So please find us. And I would say finally, something really, really Important again, this is uh, related to my own life experiences uh, with what I started with as a global renewable energy leader who happens to be brown, who happens to be a woman, who happens to be an immigrant. Please speak up. If you see manals, you know, 
only uh, only men's <laughs> panels uh, in renewable energy spaces or uh, or even i i would say from an intersectional lens or if there is no person of color or woman of color on 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 a panel please speak up and 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 even if it's a nudge why is that the case uh, let there be no talk about us without us we all have a role to play not in abstract commitment to uh, diversity but taking action no matter who we are and where we are so that's my thought thank you carol follow that one <laughs> close the session there's no following neha on that one i think that she really i you know i think that you covered how you could partner with remote energy but i really like the last part that you're saying is just is figuring out how your voice can be heard and what role you want to play and that everyone has a position in the solar industry if we're going to transition to a clean energy world we really need everyone's mind on this and no role is too small and whether that's just looking at your home or your apartment and figuring out what is that small climate action that i can do and and continue to ask yourselves that make you know yearly goals about how can i make a change and my family make a change but then also you know thinking broader like neha is to make sure that you show up and your voice shows up because we need everyone in this transition well on that note neha carol thank you so much for your time today thank you very much thank you so much kitty and if you like what you've heard today please do rate and subscribe to us I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 